Welcome to Base, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine, and joining me as always is my close personal friend, co-host, and fellow seeker. He's the howling, goetic spirit of the Vasonomicon, the enchanted jar of fresh dirt from the often visited but never mourned over grave beneath which consensus reality lies dead and buried. And he's the unstoppable, thrusting oak wand of occult and esoteric curiosity. It's Mr. Stephen James Buckley. You know me so well. I've, it's just, that, that's exactly I'm very, how I'm very, very fond of you. I need to, I need to update my CV so it just says that <laughs> now. Um, I, I thought like for season two, I could just like lean back, rest on my laurels, let the mystery be, or I could just like really lean in there and really yeah. kind of go for it, find my limit. And I'm going to just push it until half yeah. of these podcasts are just me introducing you. Yeah. Season two, man. So this is where, this is where things kick off. Um, yeah. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start tonight with, before we introduce our guest, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce the guest via, via the medium of a short story that I wrote well it's not I that like I wrote it. it's not really a short story at all it's just a, a it's the kind of thing that you'd write I thought I'd I thought I'd try and do what you do and prepare a little bit of an intro because it's season two you know it's like a, a new like year it. new me kind of thing I thought I'm let's interested. not be slapdash let's do this properly so I'm all ears <clears throat> so dear listener for most of my teens and my 20s I actually uh I felt quite embarrassed about how enthusiastic I got about things um particularly the weird shit that I was interested in um I always felt like it was something that I needed to hide or at least to tone down a bit when I was around people um and about six or seven years ago I came to this realization where I was just like fuck it I'm gonna be excited about stuff if I want to you know like being excited about nerdy stuff is cool and it's just, a, I don't know if it's this thing where you get to a certain age, like your mid-30s or whatever, and you're just like, Do you know what, fuck this. I don't, I'm just going to get excited about nerdy stuff. I'm not going to let adult life beat that out of me, you know, and you kind of get back into almost being a bit more like a kid again. Um, and around that time as well, uh, I'd started watching uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos, and I started watching a bunch of Bob Ross videos as well. And something else that I realised was cool from from this experience was teachers and by teachers i mean people who are so enthusiastic about the weird nerdy stuff they love that they feel compelled to pass it on to other people not in a way that's sort of showing off or glorifying themselves not for money just simply you know for the sheer fucking love of it and you know we're back to again that kind of enthusiasm and excitement and i think that sort of attitude is well, it's pretty much necessary um, in the kind of a, almost often frightening and depressing state of existence in recent years, certainly. But it, it's helpful. It's helpful to me. I, I think, Hein, you agree with me on this. It's something which... I, I agree 100%. Yeah. And I think it's something that we wanted to bring to Vase because we're both quite similar in that respect. Um, don't worry, this is almost over. Um, and <laughs> the suspense so, yeah, is killing me, and from, I know who the guest is. I know. And so will the listener, because it'll be on the... On the yeah, yeah. But anyway, just, just, yeah. <laughs> humor me, humor me. Come on, it's my first go okay. at this. No, so, I like it. You're doing really well. Thank you, thank you. So, from our earliest days in Vase, these qualities uh, of of this kind of excitement, enthusiasm, and desire to teach were something that we immediately recognised in the guest that we have for this episode. The guest for this episode is the Bob Ross of the occult himself, Douglas Bachelor of the fantastic What Magic Is This podcast. Hello, Douglas. Welcome, Doug. 
Hi guys! Oh my goodness, that was wonderful. I love it. <laughs> That's the first time that I've been outdone in an intro. Oh by really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You nailed it. You nailed yeah. it, Stephen. That's he's gonna, that was he's, incredible. He's going to have to take it further the next time we record, though. This yeah. is the problem. Yeah. This is like I've, an arms race. It's an arms race. <laughs> it's so funny you bring you bring that up about just getting to an age where you don't really care anymore about trying to look cool or anything like that. I had that recently, about a month and a half ago, where. Um, I, I just picked up the hobby of like surf skating, which is like nice. surfing on land. It's really popular in Europe. I don't know where it is in, in England, if it's, if it's popular there yet, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> it's, no. Lots of cobblestone streets might be a hard <laughs> yeah. um, But, uh, so I was, I, I, I have my surf skate and I was like, you know what? I should probably pick up some pads, you know, cause I go pretty fast. So I go into the, the, the skateboard shop here in, in town and uh, the guy, uh, the guy showing me these pads, and some of the pads themselves have um, have like the the Hot Wheels logo. I don't know if you guys know what Hot Wheels, like yeah, Hot yeah. Wheels cars logo the Hot on them. Yeah, yeah. And then the guys like, and that's the only ones that they had in my size. And he's like, let me go check in the back if there's like if there's any black uh, black ones that don't have the Hot Wheels logo. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. I want, <laughs> yeah. the, I want, the, ones, yeah. I want the ones that make me look like I'm like. Eight. Like, give, give those yeah. to me. I'll take them. Right. Yeah. So, that's true. one of the wonderful things about what magic is. This is that it's got that kind of attitude to it. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a there's it's a, there's almost like a childlike enthusiasm, which is is really refreshing. But it's also, as well as being refreshing, it kind of it's refreshing in that it stands out from a lot of other podcasts. But I think also, it's just so damn helpful as well. Like yeah. as in like it's a good it's a good way to learn. You're not listening to it thinking oh shit, I don't really understand this and feeling like, you know, oh, I'm not clever enough to listen to this podcast. Like you, you, you kind of, you start out easy and then you bring in the more complicated yeah. concepts or whatever. When, when I first started listening, um, you used to do more often. If, if you listen back to the earlier episodes of uh, What Magic Is This? There was a, um, a kind of, uh, the style of the show was kind of like a tutorial where you'd get someone on and you'd teach them. And this is like our opportunity to switch it so that we're actually doing like a, a kind yeah. of like, we're, we're getting you to lecture us on our podcast. Sure. So um, normally what I do here is I spend a few minutes gushing over whatever our guest creates, be it a book, a podcast or whatever. But by complete coincidence, I also have prepared a little story for tonight. I mean, me and Buckley oh haven't arranged this. We haven't no, arranged with, this with psychic, It's because we've been listening to the Lost Boys soundtrack. Right, like, right. We've, oh, we've developed via the Lost Boys a and its soundtrack a, a, a psychic link. And this happens quite a lot, actually. So I'm going to try, instead of gushing over this straight off, I'm going to try to show and not tell. But obviously I'm going to have to tell because it's a podcast. But I'm going to try to tell you to show you what I mean. So, um... About so we started base episode three, right? About uh, a year ago, and the reason for that was mainly because we'd recorded two podcasts before that, episodes one and two, and we couldn't put them out for various reasons. They just weren't hitting it. We had a, a problem with, shall we say, quality control. Uh. But one of the reasons that we couldn't put out episode two was that because I just spent the entire episode talking about what magic is this without yeah. stopping and we even tried to edit the episode back to take out my constant mentions of what magic is this uh, uh, but there was still so much that it sounded oh. like a weird tribute episode instead of an episode of an actual podcast of its own uh, so tonight i'm so glad to welcome you here to vase 
Doug, because you can legitimize me talking yeah. about what magic is this for an hour and a sure. half. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we'll start off with introducing for people who might not be familiar with what magic is this and what it is. Um, what if, what influence did it have on us? Um, I mean, for me, uh, what magic for what magic is this and what it was and what it still is is it's like going to university to study magic. Um, so many of the things that I was curious about when I was just starting off and was desperate to learn more about are covered in great detail on your show. And that's from chaos magic and sigils to the Ars Goetia, uh, the Greek magical papyri from the I Ching to Ouija boards. And that's not to sort of mention the incredible guests that you have on as well. You've had um, Aidan Wachter, uh, Gary Lockman, Jack Hunter. Joshua Cutchins, Alexander Cummings, Jeffrey Kripal, and loads, loads more that we don't have time to go through. Plus, each episode comes with a comprehensive reading list. You see this bookshelf behind me here is the Doug Bachelor <laughs> bookshelf here. Sorry, but um, not. <laughs> <laughs> and an incredibly detailed show notes. And I really took that to heart in a big way. I was inspired to do the show notes for Vase from how I'd learned from your show notes. And now I'm so committed that often I don't have time in the turnaround to get them done. And we have to ask our friend of the show Keith to come in he's a very conscientious man and he helps me put the show notes together now so that we can do it because we we learned how important that is when you're just starting out to be able to reference everything and um, so like any episode can be picked up almost any episode I would say of what magic is this can be picked up by a beginner or someone who's really experienced in magic and they'd each I think um, get an equal amount from it how do you kind of strike that balance how do I strike that balance um because I know for a fact that even people that think that they know everything about something, they actually don't. Um, because what what people are getting with what magic is this, and I hope this doesn't sound like I'm, I'm, I'm bragging a little bit, but is that you're actually getting like my perspective. I've been doing magic for about 20 years. So I'm a lot of times I will say like, here's the things you need to know, say about like a figure like Aleister Crowley. Um, but here's also my opinion about Aleister Crowley at the same time. Take that for what it's worth, but that's just kind of how things have to be. But um, I I try to have that whole idea of keeping in mind who my audience is. And for the most part, a lot of people that are interested in magic do not want to do practical magic, right? And so I just know that when I'm, when I'm starting it out, it's like, Start with the things that are most important to know about this topic. And then towards the end, we'll just kind of have a little bit of my opinion or maybe even like the, the guests will start to talk a little bit about, you know, how they feel about these things, the, the kind of um, the more generalized opinion. So I, I always like start from a point. It's that whole Charles Fortean, like how do you how does one draw a circle just by starting anywhere? I just kind of start with like the really specific stuff and then other things come onto it. So there's always going to be that amount of just giving people the info that I think that they that they need and that they deserve. And then they'll get a little bit of my opinion. It's probably not going to be everybody's opinion. I, I strike pretty hard at, I'm going to say, 19, late 19th century, early 20th century occultism, which I think has the lion's share of people's attention these days. But um, for the most part, I just, I like talking about this kind of stuff. And you know, I never wanted to be a teacher. So when, when both of you and uh, uh, Peter and, and Stephen were talking about, you know, teachers and stuff like that, I never really wanted to be a teacher. I don't really want to teach courses and stuff like that. But a lot of people look up to me as some kind of like a teacher figure, um, which is flattering. I just kind of be like, yeah, maybe like a like a 
like a tutor or somebody that you meet at a coffee shop every once in a while and we'll just talk about some stuff because maybe you might have some questions. But um, yeah, the, the trying, trying to get the balance right is, is always a bit difficult. Um, but I've read enough books to kind of know how to tell a good story. <laughs> so I think that knowing a little bit about storytelling um, and how that's done in a non-fictional context, because I do believe magic is real. Um, how to do how to tell a good story in a uh, in a magical context uh, within the framework of, of of ritual magic specifically within the West I think is 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 important. Um, people deserve the story. Anybody can just start something and Wikipedia article put out a YouTube video. And I'm not trying to like bash anybody or I'm not talking about somebody specifically, but it's really easy to just go through a Wikipedia page and just do like the the facts, but it's it's a little bit harder to make it relatable to people. So I always have the I always have the listener in mind. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. There's a real feeling of sharing, you know, sharing yeah. the knowledge for a topic, sharing the enthusiasm for a topic, and I, I really really like that about it. I do think that what magic is this is quite an important podcast. I mean, it has. Uh, you, you do get a lot of listeners now, don't you? You, you get a, you get, I and mean, there's a lot of people tuning in. Like my my partner, she's not really into the whole sort of occult thing. Um, uh, I mean, she does like a bit of tarot and you know a bit of new thought type stuff. Um, but she was asking me this week who you're interviewing this week. I was like, oh, Doug Batchelor. And she was like, oh, who's Doug Batchelor? I was like, oh, from What Magic Is This? And she went, oh, a big one then. (laughs) (laughs) The the influence of your show is definitely growing. And I do think it's an important show. And I think it should be prescribed listening uh, because in a way, and I don't know if this was your intention when you started out, but in a way it's kind of fighting against the sort of mindless materialism and um, like homogenization of modern life. Um, The sort of mindlessness of much of social media and the mundanity of reality TV and the one size fits it's all lifestyle that's kind of forced upon us um, and like every day of our lives by a culture that has become sort of possessed by like this, you know, like barely controllable spirit of, you know, consumerism and, and that kind of thing. Uh, aggressive capitalism, really. And um, what magic is this is like an oasis of, um, I mean, you know, well, common sense in a way, you know, yeah. but it's pushing back against this kind of bleak monoculture uh, by exploring important ideas that are uh, often, um, you know, forgotten wisdom uh, that's fallen to the wayside um, in this age of all pervasive scientific empiricism, I think. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. One of the reasons when I started my podcast, it became very clear to me, like, well, another way I, I want my listeners to relate to me, and I think that it's important to get your listeners to to try and, and see you on whatever level you are and where you came from, was that magic was for me that thing that I all when I was growing up, that whole monoculture, whatever it was, that really bland, materialist, empiricist, rationalist aspect that was trying to to drill itself into my being. I rejected because it did not match my experience and my magic kind of came out of that. So even though I say I started my magic and like started being a practical magician in my early twenties, there was groundwork beforehand. I loved reading, you know, um, uh, Colin Wilson and those like books about ghosts it's like all of that kind of stuff was very important to me. Um, and it wasn't until I found like Carl Jung from a, a high school teacher that it's like, okay, so there's people that can actively lean into this aspect of things. So um, I equated this, this crushing culture 
that it has been said before, you know, like it's consensus reality, but I didn't get a chance to vote on it. And it's true. I, I, I didn't feel like that, that what was being offered for reality was making me ill. It was like, and I'm not trying to like put my anguish or mental illness on something, but when my experience wasn't being matched to what I was told reality was, I was very sad. And magic allowed me a way of seeing the world and operating within the world via via things like ritual and whatnot that is more beneficial to me as a person. So my show, in a way, is just kind of sharing how I see the world in a way, which I do believe is magical. And and again, I, I, I keep saying this. I do think there's a real history to magic. And and magic is people, very few magicians accept consensus reality as it exists now. The, consen- the consensus culture, the homogenous culture that we're surrounded by as the way of operating, there's a few. They don't last very long, seemingly. Like there's been, there's a couple of people that, um, especially over the last like five years, I'm not going to mention any names because truthfully, it's just like they, they like rose up. They were really popular and then they just kind of like dissipated. They're bit, it was like, Magic was spicy, spicy spirituality, spicy pop spirituality. And then they just kind of, they, they haven't done anything since. Um, so I, I do think that, yeah, my show in a way is, it's, it's trying to kick against that, trying to kick against that idea that people have to accept the reality that's handed to us. No, I, I, I'm here to tell you. It's not like there's other ways of operating in the world. And for a long period of time, we were told that the way that they operate in the world was wrong. And now that there is there is uh, within academia and, and elsewhere, there is a real turn occurring because we're like, hmm, this way of being is probably not good for us, nor anybody else, nor the planet we live on. What, what can we do? And so magic is one of those vehicles via which I personally have have found um, matches closer to my experience. So that's a really long-winded way of, of basically saying, yeah, if you like <laughs> weird shit, listen to my show because it's yeah. just like, it's, it's uh, like, I, I, I don't, I don't accept that just because there's evidence for something that it makes it better than what I've experienced because I've experienced some very bizarre, very crazy stuff. And it, it was real. It's real to me. I know what I saw and just because I can't put a measurement on it doesn't make it any less real. And when did you, I mean, I love that. I mean, I think that's, that's really, really good. Um, and I didn't think it was long winded at all. I thought that that sort of summed it up quite nicely, really. It was just um, right. It was yeah, just the right amount. <laughs> but when, when did you first start to realize, I mean, when did you first start to realize this or was it something that you were kind of born with, do you think, or, or what, what was your first memory? Do you think of sort of realizing that there was, magic in the world i think i think i was just born this way i think that i'd I'd always seen different stuff my parents my 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 poor parents um (laughs) because i would i would have imaginary i would have quote-unquote imaginary friends i i seemed better off alone doing my own thing and what what would be called again, to use air quotes, imagination and make belief and stuff like that. But it was very, very real. Everything was very, very real to me. I do, I do say this is kind of like one of the the points where I knew that something was out of sync for me. And it's a story that I tell almost in every time that I'm on somebody else's podcast. So forgive, forgive me if I I sound like I'm repeating myself, but in grade, in grade five, um, we had to study, uh, 
I was I was raised in rural Alberta. I went to school in rural Alberta, just a place outside of Calgary. And we the Canadian school system had just started just started maybe in the previous three four years to incorporate learning about Indigenous and First Nations communities and tribes and bands within Canada. Um, and I remember this day because it's it was very stark for me. The teachers were trying, right? So it was it was new to the curriculum, and the teachers were fairly old. Again, rural Canada. So they were trying their best, but, and again, like we, we didn't, we didn't have prayers in school, it, but everybody was religious, right? Like it was, and it was very uh, Christian. So I remember the teacher teaching about, I believe it was, it was either the Cree or Blackfoot within Alberta. And she was talking about how they saw the world and that they said that – I just remember it was so stark. She said like the – the they they think the stream's alive. They think the trees are alive. They think this – and I remember the kids being like, ha, 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 ha. And I'm just sitting there like that matches to my experience way better than everything else. Like that – that's – that the kids kind of could just like laugh at that. Kind of It shows me that I'm I'm not exactly – part of this. So that was, that was one of the first moments that I was like, something's not right. Um, because from grades one to four, you're allowed to believe in Santa Claus. You're allowed to believe in like ghosts. They'll, they have books in the library for us to like, for, for, for the Easter bunny and, and for things like that. But once you get to grade five and you kind of like get out of the portables and into like a, a, a middle, we call it middle school. That's when they're trying to really talk to you about how the world actually works. Young ad, young man, young woman, you need to know how things work now. So they, that the kind of clash of learning about indigenous and other ways of seeing the world, other epistemologies within the world and this other like overall arching Abrahamic way of being like, Yes, there's a God, but there's also this other thing called materialism and reality, and it's only what you can measure in science, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I was I, – that clash was very stark to me that day. I was like, oh, <laughs> like I, I hang out in the woods outside of my house more than I do with other kids in the neighborhood who were all like neighborhood. I didn't really live in a neighborhood. The closest house was like 500 meters away from me. But I was more interested in being in the woods and, and hanging out with things there, be they real or imaginary or my dog. And like that, that, so that was, that was the moment where it was, like, it was very, very stark to me that, oh, <laughs> that, that's more real to me than the other stuff. So. So whilst whilst we're on whilst we're back in in the early days of Doug Batchelor, I was wondering as as you are seemingly a naturally gifted teacher, did you have anyone in your life who taught this kind of stuff to you? Did you have a a figure when you were younger who kind of who was sort of a mentor for for magic or for the weirdness or whatever you want to call it, or was it something? Was it just all kind of through books and through 
self-taught. All, all through books and self. I mean, my parents were my, I had great parents. Truthfully, like growing up, I had very understanding. I was a I was a weird child. I cut I cut my hair into like a mohawk that I would like spike up <laughs> in grades. Well, I'm not like I was very bizarre. And they would buy me costumes. I was very theatrical and very exuberant. And yeah, I had this this world which seemed to set apart from everybody else. So that was that was. Um, that was fostered and and kindled by my parents and, and bless them. And they were really great. My dad was a bit of a classicist, so he liked Greek myths and he would t- teach me about Greek myths. He was very good in getting Tolkien into my into my hands at a very early age. I could read um, when I was quite young, but like by grade one, they were teaching kids how to read. I, I'd, I'd already been reading books. Like, so I was, I had really good parents, but as far as like the weird stuff, that was just me. And a lot of times it would just be, um, because I didn't have a lot of friends when there would be a recess, I'd be spending time in the library and, um, in like elementary. So that's grade one to four. We had a lot of like really weird books, strangely, but then when I got into middle school, grade five to grade eight or grade seven, um, somebody in the rural area must have died. Somebody who must have been a weirdo. Because <laughs> that library had an exceptional collection of Charles Fort and Colin Wilson, all of those these mystery of the unknown books where in North America, most people will know what I'm talking about. There's these black books, and there's like 28 of them. And they're all about like psychic abilities and books on UFOs. So there must have been a really weird dude in the area who <laughs> who donated to that uh, that that library. But yeah, I didn't I didn't really have anybody who taught me these things, but my dad told me a lot about myths and fantasy stuff. Um, he liked telling me tales about like, um, strange things like the lost lemon mine, which is like local folklore in Alberta. Um, a lot of Robert service, who was a poet. So my dad, yeah, my dad was very, he was a very poetic, seemingly spiritual man. We would go for walks almost every night and we'd point up to the stars and we'd talk about, so I, yeah, I, I, I had really great parents. Um, but I also had this, like, I had this inkling to try and learn as much as I could. And so I was very lucky that the library that I went to had those books in both, um, in both, elementary and, and middle school. So yeah, I, I, I just got very lucky, I think. How, how do you think that, or, or when, I suppose, is the question, when and how did this desire to learn about the weird stuff and these experiences in the woods and how did all this coalesce into a, uh, a magical practice or when, when did that moment start for you? So always been interested in, in the the weird stuff, but in, in that way where I, I don't, I, I don't want people to think that like, I, I went straight to being like this weird kid. And then I got into, you know, in, in magic just kind of came up. I had this streak from about, about 14 to 18, 19, where I was very nihilistic and very, materialist and like the, the, that's that, but like in a cynical way, like, and it wasn't good. Um, because I'd had mental health struggles. I was given like a lot of pharmaceuticals to try and deal with it. And so a lot of the things that I had my experiences, I was writing off to being mentally, uh, to my mental illness and stuff like that. And so, um, materialism won for a period in my life. But that stuff was always interesting to me. So it was always, I always liked it. Um, it manifested in different ways. So that, that kind of weird cynicist 
cynic, cynical materialism manifested in like me trying to learn as much about like serial killers and and profiling so there's still this like dark element to it and i love the books of john douglas who was one of the fbi's like premier he was the guy that kind of like started criminal profiling psychological criminal profiling and and but but i had also had this this desire to learn about the mind and how psychology works and things like that. And then, yeah, in grade 11, I got introduced to Carl Jung through a book uh, and a teacher, a teacher who taught me, um, uh, who taught a book called Fifth Business by Robertson Davies, Canadian author, but his books are kind of filled with Jungian archetypes and stuff like that. And this teacher was like, you should read Carl Jung. And then my next year teacher, he's like, you should read Herman Hesse and Siddhartha and, and, and Steppenwolf and things like this. And so I started to regain this, this part of me that was like this really punk ethos of like, nothing's true. Everything's shit. And like, it's only, and then you die and nothing happens. It was like, <laughs> was there, but there was this other part that was really trying to, to get in there. And um, I started, I started working at a video store and uh, and at a theater in Calgary, and so it was while there I got a hold. We would get um, for for those that remember. I know you guys do, but maybe our list, the listeners don't. For those back in the day, we used to have these things called video stores, and you would get the if you worked there, you would get the DVDs or the VHS before they would actually be released. And so in that time, when I worked at a video store, I was I could take home any video that I wanted. And so there was a a DVD, a two disc, two CD DVD called uh, Disinformation which was uh, a TV show that aired in England first. It was on Channel 4. Um, and it only lasted four episodes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I've got, the, I've got a book the- downstairs as well. I can't really reach it from here. I could I could stop the recording and go downstairs and get it so I could hold it up. But yeah, I'm not We're having a look at the book. The, the book's called The Book of Lies. It's a different disinformation book. So before I grabbed that book, because in very short order I did, but there was this DVD and then on the on so the first the first disc was the TV show Disinformation, really weird stuff, but it's still worth watching today. And then on the second disc there was this thing called Disinfocon, which was a huge um, twenty four uh, hour weirdapalooza that took place in New York in the year two thousand. And they invited a bunch of writers and artists like Joe Coleman and Kenneth Anger and but one of the the, the person who like kicked sorry. The second guest, the first guest was Douglas Rushkoff, at least on the DVD. And then the second guest was this crazy screaming Scotsman by the name of Grant Morrison, who was a, a, a comic book writer. And he started talking about sigils. And that was it for me. When this guy started talking about sigils and how to do sigils, and then I looked into the, this company, Disinformation, a little bit more, and I noticed that they just released this book called Book of uh, Book of Lies, which were – it's a collection of authors, Grant Morrison being in there as well. And that's the reason I bought it. I literally bought it because Grant Morrison was in there. Um, but then there are some other people. Robert Anton Wilson's got an essay in there. Anyhow, Genesis Bjorge as well. Uh, Neville Drury. Anyways, doesn't matter. Alan but Greenfield. That's Alan, Alan Greenfield yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so – this cynical, this cynical Doug suddenly had to compartmentalize with this idea that I can change reality merely by drawing little glyphs. And then, so I started trying it and they started working like, and, and like really quickly and, and like starkly, like things that weren't like something easy, like somebody's going to gift me, 
like a nice cream sandwich someday. They were like, they were not like moonshot, but like things that seemed out of reach. And then they happened within like 10 days. And then like, like this happened, this happened, this happened. So it was one of those things where I remember sitting, uh, cause I had, I kind of had my like life, my life was going to go in a very different direction. I was going to be moving to Toronto. Uh, so I was quitting my job at the video store, but I remember just being like, I think I'm a chaos magician now because Grant Morrison is, I wrote it in like a diary. Um, so that's kind of when like, it's like, I, I have to start doing ritual magic. So that's, that's really when it occurred. So that was when I had to be like this other way of being this kind of like punk rock, nothing fucking matters besides what I can see in front of me, like class warfare, blah, blah, blah. Like, which is still, there's still a no, I learned things from that period of my life. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, I learned a lot of like, what not to do <laughs> as well. But that's kind of when that like it, it literally was like almost one week I was a, like a staunch cynical materialist. The next it was like there is something weird going on. I've been here before. I think I need to lean into it a little bit more. And I haven't looked back. There, I think there is a direct feeder, isn't there, between that sort of punk rock, nothing matters ethos to chaos magic uh, because that – almost embodies that ethos and who was more punk rock than grant morrison in the year 2000 i mean i don't think anyone was at that time i also love that story because you know how i got into what magic is this i was looking for podcasts about grant morrison uh, and and uh, i found your grant morrison episode and that just got me straight into it so it's quite a nice sort of reflection of that because that was a great episode and i'll link to it in the show notes because it's it's really good and you did one on alan moore as well who's like the other side of the yin yang of the comic book writing magicians yeah which is really really good um and so from there um i suppose um ritual magic it doesn't necessarily lead on from chaos magic does it you know not all chaos magicians become ritual magicians do they what was it that pushed you further into that direction because chaos magic itself is quite a stripped back like we were saying kind of a punk rock approach to magic it's also one of the reasons that i think it's the feeder and this is just i mean obviously you know i'm i'm talking to someone who knows more about it than me but what i'm thinking is is that part of the reason that it's a feeder is because it really leans into the psychological model of magic you know in that like well there's not necessarily you know spirits necessarily and we did a really really interesting episode with um um mark vincent who's a chaos magician who works at treadwells and uh one of the interesting things i don't want to paraphrase him too much but one of the interesting things was he was saying was like Yep, you know, I work with spirits, you know, I, I don't know what they are, you know, like, I don't know. What you, so there is an acceptance of it, but it's very psychological. But ritual magic is quite a long, big step up from chaos magic. So did you go through any, did you learn any particular systems? Did you join any groups or anything like that? No. So what, what occurred was, um, I was like the, I was the, yeah, I was the Grant Moore and it's true the you are a hundred percent correct. And it's probably one of those things I, I should have talked a little bit more about in my Grant Morrison episode that, yeah, the Grant Morrison has that punk ethos of like going through absolutely everything. So the pipeline from like punk rock to chaos magic, nobody exemplifies that, that kind of attitude than Grant Morrison. So it was perfect fit. So very well put, uh, Peter. I, I, I love that. Um, so I was I tinkered around with chaos magic and I discovered you know the work of of um, like Peter Carroll I really love the work of of Phil Hine and everything that that he was doing and 
you discover eventually you discover Austin Osmond's spare and I couldn't I didn't understand anything he was saying um but eventually what occurred was uh, because of my love of you know um I, <laughs> it's just weird that it just happens this way somebody I was working with at that video store introduced me to the the work of of Alan Moore so they gave me this comic book and of course me being like the punk rock like nah I was like, I don't want to read a comic book. He's like, you'll read this comic book. It's called V for Vendetta. You'll like it. And it sat on my bookshelf for my wherever I was living at the point. I, at that time, I forget where it was. It sat there for months. And then one day I just started reading it. And it was like, holy shit, this is good. And then he gave me a second Alan Moore book, which was Watchmen. And I was like, ugh, superheroes. Ugh. And it did the same thing for three months. It sat there and didn't read it. And then I picked it up and started reading it. I was like, holy shit, this is really good. So I liked Alan Moore and then I would just buy Alan Moore books and, and it wasn't until later that I realized he's a magician as well. So I was like, holy shit. So I picked up his book, um, Promethea and I started reading Promethea. And then, so he's, he's kind of talking about, and I was able to find, this was early internet days, like we're not early internet days, but like 2000, 2005-ish. So there were some interviews with him uh, online, I think in the Mustard Magazine or some some places, where he would talk about magic. But he would poo-poo chaos magic. And I don't know if it was because of his hatred of, of Grant Morrison or stuff like that. But um, he, he would talk about, you know, there's the Golden Dawn. And then there's there's the there's Aleister Crowley, and he would be like they're not they're not great, but he would talk about this kind of this austere kind all connected Kabbalah part to magic that was entirely unfamiliar to me, who was just you know drawing glyphs and jerking off and stuff like that, <laughs> which I was doing and like putting an embodiment of of being trying to become the embodiment of of uh, James Bond and and egregores and servitors and things of that nature. So eventually I was just like, oh, so the real magic isn't chaos magic. It's actually this other stuff, uh, which became for a period of about 10 years, kind of like that's where I directed a lot of my attention to. So I didn't, jo I didn't join any orders. I was living in Edmonton, Alberta for the most part, which is like very working class, North Alberta, cold, eight months of winter. So if people, when I say eight months of winter, people will be like, oh, it's just cold. It's like, no, no, eight months of like a meter and a half of snow in the ground, ice everywhere. Eight months of that. One month of summer. <laughs> it's very cold there. Um, there were people that I knew that kind of were magic related, but I didn't want to join any, there was no groups there. So I just, it was again, just me being me and reading books and all of that kind of stuff again. Um, so yeah, the, 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 this, this idea of, of being a ritual magician. So what, what is occurring now, I think is that there's a counter reformation within uh, chaos magic where it's like, no, no, it's time to get back to doing like rituals and stuff. So a lot of chaos magicians that I know these days they aren't going off of the psychological model, right? And I, but I believe that whole like getting the psychology getting tacked onto chaos magic was very early. Um, that we can basically say the '90s. That's like the the 
how it was viewed in the 90s was that chaos magic was under this a priori assumption that it's all in your mind and that your, your mind can be attuned or like reprogrammed like a computer. But pretty much every chaos magician that I know now that calls themselves a chaos magician, they're operating off with like a spirit model. They are, they're going to things like the Greek magical papyri, which is very ritual based. Um, so that's good to see. So a lot of that is occurring quite a bit. So it's getting a bit further away from that whole idea of like just doing like quick and easy. Yeah, uh, it's just about it's just about sampling as many things that might stick, and if it does stick, then you keep doing it and you keep going for it. So um, my one of the reasons I kind of poo poo the 19, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century conceptions of ritual magic is that it, I just didn't find it very fruitful for myself. I know a lot of people get a lot from it. Good for them. I'm not. And I'm not saying that facetiously. Like some people need that kind of like. I need to see order and hierarchy and like ascending this kind of, <laughs> I see, I need to, to, to view the planes to be able to go through some kind of self-actualization. If that is the way that you want to approach magic, cool. I wish you the best of luck. I have resources. I've done episodes on it. It just didn't work for me. Um, I felt that the golden dawn kind of thing for people starting out at magic, it might be one of the worst ways of approaching magic. Like just for my speaking, because I know a lot of people start doing that kind of magic and then they're just like, fuck magic. I don't want anything to do with it anymore because they don't see a lot of results, which is why I say you don't have to call yourself a chaos magician when you start magic, but the chaos toolkit is an important one and start doing things, small little things, small little rituals and see if they work. Because in my experience, they usually will, and then they'll stop working for a while, and then when they start working again, it'll it'll be like coming home. Like you'll you'll recognize that that it that it will work. So, the the dichotomy between chaos magician and ritual ma magician, I'm seeing it within culture starting to fall away, which is a good thing. Um, for myself, the the idea of like being a ritual based ceremonial i think is the other word that gets thrown in like ceremonial magician is that these things have distinctions um i'm trying to kick against that i call i'm using the word um performative magic as opposed to ceremonial magic because i think that the actual key that i want to get into people's heads is that it's more about the performance of it less so than the ceremony i think that the performance is where you get the the effects from, and it's not just psychological. I think that there is something to be said about spirits watching us all the time, and that you are interacting in this in a performative context. That it doesn't mean that it's fake. I think this idea of performance and make believe and pretend has to fall away. And the other cultures across the world and other religions have known this from for for so long. But it's just like since we've entered into the Enlightenment, we're just like ah, it's not real anymore. Like uh, the, the Eucharist and the mass is just like, it's, that's where the stuff comes from. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, so anyways, that very long winded answer that I have there. But, um, I think the, this dichotomy between ritual and chaos magician is, is starting to fall away. Um, I, when people ask me what kind of magic I do, I say like, <laughs> um, goetic, negromantic necromancy with Greco-Egyptian flourishes and people go like, what? And then I'll just say, I'm a chaos magician. Like I just, <laughs> just like, I'll just say like, I'm a chaos. I try stuff and if it works, I keep doing it until it doesn't work. And then I'll try something else. I don't follow any one system. I like Greek stuff. I like Roman stuff. I like, 
uh, conceptualizations that are, that have been passed down from certain uh, indigenous cultures and European folkloric cultures. The cunning, the cunning folk, and what we would call cunning traditions, I find to be incredibly helpful, particularly as we go through and, and through like dying modernity, the 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 slowly crumbling end stages of capitalist modernity. I think the cunning folk are a really good place to look at how to operate in the world. But uh, I think chaos magic is, is it's a, it's a nice, it's been a nice homecoming and it has been for the last 11 years. So yeah, there was like a, there's like a 10 year, the, the fight between chaos magic and ritual magic for Doug, then being ritual 19th, early 20th century order lodge based magic. And now it's more like I'm, I'm okay with, the chaos toolkit and, and and using things uh, until they work and until they service me and 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 it's it's much better if the hierarchy works for other people that's good I just I don't I don't find it helps and and as far as orders and stuff like that I don't know I've never been big into it I've never tried it so maybe I don't know like I've 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 I'm one of those people and this goes back to what I said earlier. I, I just learn stuff myself. I'm very headstrong. And if something goes wrong in ritual, I only have one person to blame and that's me. And that's the way I like it, right? Like if, if, if something does not happen, it's only because I haven't done something right or maybe it's just not the time. Uh, involving other people, it probably works for other people more so than it does for me. But then again, I can't speak on it because I haven't really done it. So, sorry. I mean, it's just—it's essentially like a, a toolbox, isn't it? It's like, or, or a—I've uh, said it before on on here. Like, it's like the way I understand it is: some people prefer to draw with pencil, some people like charcoal, some people like watercolors or whatever. And it's like they're all still art. They're right. all—they're st- all still good. You can all still make good stuff and bad stuff or whatever. It's just like it, it doesn't have to be a, a you know this is how to do it. And I think that that. That is something when people start being like that, that to me is like, okay, I'm not interested in in what you have to say then, because it's just like to me that's just completely this that isn't about art, that's about being prescriptive and and that's bollocks to me. <laughs> Anybody who tells you that they they can teach you how to do magic with and get verifiable results is trying to sell you something. And there is something to say, and, and I, I, I just want to say real quickly here for listeners um, who maybe aren't familiar with magic, um, people that are offering that kind of thing, they're lying to you. Sorry. They might be nice people and they might truly believe that, but for the most part, you can find your way pretty easily. I've got episodes on it, um, but it is just that. And the true joy of magic, and this is something I want everybody to know is figuring out what works for you and your path and your journey. That is the coolest shit ever. That 10 years where I was like really big into lodge-based magic, I learned a ton about myself. It wasn't a bad thing. It's just that the tool kit that I was using and I tried to, I was, I was using a marker when I wanted to use a brush, right? And so to, to hang with that metaphor. So 
I was still just kind of keeping it up because I was like, no, it's at some point it's got to work. At some point it's got to work. And it was really meddlesome. And then when I was just like, you know what, maybe I need to try something else. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I really do like that metaphor because at basics, magic in its expression is is art. It is an art. The great work, etc. All of that stuff. Like that, it, there is an artful element to it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm digging what you're. I'm I'm reading your mail there, Stephen. I, I I'm I'm behind that 100. I think that one thing that you're you're both sort of talking about as well is is imagination as well. You know, because that's obviously big in art and creative practices. But also, Doug, when you're talking about having a self-directed practice like you do, obviously, a lot of that. Um, comes from things that are less prescriptive, you know, less that set out and more imaginative. Uh, like I really, I, I listened to, and, and we'll talk a bit about your Patreon later, but I was listening to some of the, uh, the, the series that you're doing there called The Dirt, which is about getting down and dirty with doing magic. And there's this beautiful, beautiful ritual, uh, one, of, one of the early ones, I think episodes two and three maybe of The Dirt, where you take a chaos magic principle, which is just the sigils, and there's this beautiful ritual put around it you know where where you you do summon spirits and you go to a graveyard and, and it's it was beautiful to listen to I, I i i'm really really tempted to try something or devise something myself that, that would be like that but i think that the thing that you're teaching with what magic is this which speaks to what both you and Stephen were talking about is how your imagination can dictate this and also which is important that we haven't talked about for a while actually on base is dreams you know and how important they are and this ties into actually something that i was going to ask you because if there's people listening now while while we have you here what is the best way that people can start their own magical practice if they wanted to start today when they put this podcast down and when they finished listen to the end please but once they've got to the <laughs> end when do they you know how, how can someone start their magical life today I'd say probably like the 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 safest slash easiest way to start are, are two things. Um, just start doing rituals involving protecting yourself. <laughs> it's very simple. Like it's so funny that somebody who ranted and raved against like any kind of god or spirituality. Um, I, I recently watched. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but it was one of those things that, like I felt obligated because this it went back to that really materialist, cynical Doug Batchelor that I talked about from 13 to, to 19. Uh, I loved Dan, um, uh, Dan, not Dan Carlin. Oh God. Uh, George Carlin. Sorry. <laughs> George yeah, Carlin. Yeah. He's George Carlin is very cynical and, and he, he, very anti-God, etc. etc. But towards the end of his life, he was, he carried crystals in his pocket. Like he, he, he truly thought crystals would protect him. Um, so if the, if like the least spiritual person on earth still could keep crystals in his pocket to try and protect him from things, that's something to, to, to take into account there. The reason I bring that up is like, try to do, try to start with ritual magic and spells that are about protecting yourself and just kind of like keeping bad vibes away, protect, like weekly do something that feels like you're like scrubbing yourself of like negative influences because cleansing and protection Trend, like it's psychological, it's spirit based, it's energy based. It's all of the things that people will tell you that magic can be or whatever framework they want. But there is some kind of like a hygiene element to magic. Now, of course, one would, if they start doing that and like 
they get into a car accident and luckily they're they're like saved. They'd be like, whoa, well, could be coincidence or could be the things. So I think that a lot of people, when they start doing magic, um, they want to know that their magic is actually doing something. They need to have that thing that pushes them over the edge to know that magic is real. Um, and so I tell people to start with dreams. Now, it's tough because everybody is sold, and particularly the books that you'll get in like occult or new age bookstores, they're all about this idea of initiation. And that's a night, it's, it's not a so it's not a holdover because there has been through mystery traditions this idea of initiation. And a lot of people will try to get your money through these orators to initiate you. And there's nothing I've known people that have had initiations and they've said, like, it's it's a it was a life-changing moment for me. Cool. Um but I think that there needs to be this moment, particularly now and with materialism being as, as punishing as it is these days, to know that this something else besides that that is being offered these days, this rationalist, materialist, empirical world that we live in. And psi effects or being psychic and seeing the future is real. We have people doing scientific experiments that so show us it's real. The best way of doing this yourself is to do your dreams and start recording your dreams. Because at some point, you will figure out that you literally saw the future in your dream. And it's not going to be one of those like mind-blowing, like, whoa, crazy. Or perhaps it will be. But for the most part, it might be one of those things where you're just like, huh. That's really weird. And the ha huh, that's really weird is enough to know that the shit that is being shoveled to you about this world is incorrect. It's not the map of reality. And so dreams are a great way of being like, particularly if you record them and you read them if you, and you go once or twice a month and just go back and read them and it's not a coincidence. You'll just be like, oh, that happened. I forgot that I dreamed that and then it happened. That's crazy. And it'll happen enough that it's going to be quite striking. And there's this wonderful, um, <laughs> there's this wonderful academic paper that somebody released recently where they literally set out to try and prove that dreams were not precognitive and they got the exact opposite result. And they were like, I can't say for sure that dreams are precognitive, but holy shit, I kept dreaming the future. And it's crazy. So I have a link in one of my show notes. It might be in the dreams or it might be in the lucid dreaming episode on my show, but it's a really interesting, like, yeah, somebody very cynical, very scientific was like, I'm going to start recording my dreams to prove that dreams aren't real. And then they went, uh, or sorry, that dreams aren't precognitive. And then they went, I'm seeing a lot of things in my dreams that are happening in real life, and it's kind of scary. So for those people starting out of magic, try doing protective things. You will notice if you start doing some kind of spiritual hygiene, not only like will you start to feel better about yourself, you will start to feel more safe and more comfortable with things. And that's a good thing. And even if magic is bullshit and this entire, I if I am completely wrong about all of this and magic doesn't exist and has not existed ever in the world, the positive benefits of doing that are great anyways. From wearing a protective amulet to like a necklace of Hildegard of Bingen to a ring of protection to 
doing a fire cleanse every week to doing baths with weird things like cider vinegar and sea salt in them and you pour it over yourself. Any of those things are a great place to start because you will start to learn about yourself and how you operate and how you like to start doing rituals. And if it, if it doesn't work, you're just doing something silly. And if it does, you're protecting yourself from shit. So that's good. Um, but also recording dreams. That's it. Record dreams. Go back once or twice a month, and you'll be and you'll be you'll be quite shocked. And it's not going to be one of those things where you're like you, you'll be like, eh, maybe. It's going to be one of those things like, oh crap, that actually happened. I saw that crazy. And and I just want to say again, and I'm gonna, I'm going to repeat this: is that the real that realization? I hope it's mind blowing for you. But it might literally just be one of those things when you realize that you can see the future through your dreams, that you're like, huh, okay, um, what do I do now with this information? And that's, the, that's, that's a hard thing. So what do you do next? Well, I say lean into it. Like it's, it, Maybe it's enough for some people to just go like, huh, well, I'm, I can still continue being agnostic. Sure, sure. Um, but if you know that perhaps you're able to see the future, Perhaps you're able to divine it. Perhaps you're able to influence it. I say lean into it. At least it, it helps me, right? So that's that's it. Uh, protect yourself. Protect your neck. And uh, <laughs> write down your dreams if you can record your dreams. Very, very important. And that's that's, and, and then you can start to introduce other things, the whole energy model or the psychological model or even the animist spirit model or, or these kind of things. But I'd say, you know, just keep, keep clean and record your dreams. The dream precognition thing is actually really really common and as soon as um i started looking into all of this stuff and i listened about eric wago on your podcast and um there nice. we go time loops buckley's got a copy of time loops there um and um I started, so the, 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 the principle is, is like, I've, I've not read the book. I'm actually going to borrow it off Buckley this weekend, which I'm looking nice. forward to. But, um, you know, the, the, the principle, as it was explained, like in your show, really, is, is just quite simple in that, like, it may not be a literal, um, you know, you dream the future exactly as it is, but you dream some element which is beyond a doubt connected to an event that happens. And once you realize that, and I explained that to a few friends and immediately everyone starts realizing that, oh yeah, I, I dreamt about that person. And then the next day I got uh, some news about them and that kind of thing. But this is where the materialism and, and the materialistic way that we are is broken because this happens to everyone. The, the most atheist person this happens to, and people who I know who have no spiritual beliefs will say, oh, that's weird. I dreamt about that last night. And then the next day it happened. And they, they just say, oh, it's coincidence. They just say, oh, it's, that's coincidence. And, and people will go you know, we'll swear down blind that these things are coincidence instead of actually leaning into them. And like you say, once you start looking at your dreams like this, and just when you start looking at coincidence itself and synchronicity, that's where my magical practice started. Once you start to realize that actually you look at that a different way, the synchronicity starts stacking up. The things that you see in your dreams or the things that are relevant in your dreams start to become a lot more obvious. And, and all of a sudden your life's that little bit more magical. Yeah, a hundred percent. And there's there is something to be said about magic, particularly now, being about just accruing synchronicity and and to to another extent, because th this is going to sound maybe like a little bit cynical, but um, I'm I'm going to say it. 
anyways, our life, particularly these days, because there's very few people that control what kind of like content we see, our life these days is almost devoid of meaning. Like I, I, I'm lucky that I, I'm, I've got my Discord server, and for the most part, people have me on their show that already believe this stuff. So I'm surrounded with people that I'm going to say like are believers or at least agnostic or on the fence. If you talk to most people, like go talk to your aunt. They, like, <laughs> I don't, I'm not speaking to you guys specifically, but I'm just talking in general. People live very vacuous lives, almost devoid of any kind of meaning. And even religious people will just be like. Well, there's a heaven. I can't wait to get there. But it's like, what happens when you're here? <laughs> so it, it's really rough for people. And synchronicity is one of those only instances where people are like, oh, there might be something else. And so modern magic now, I think for a lot of people is just about trying to get that meaning. And then you have to like start stacking on people like, yeah. You, you you do look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you do start researching things like peak experiences. And so like you, you dip your toe into that. And then hopefully it starts to spiral into something into something more. So yeah, synchronicities is, is are a great way to start. And yeah, coincidences are are cool and are crazy. And the interesting thing about these 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 moments that provide meaning to us is that they're so personal. That when you try to share them with other people, it's the dumbest, most boring story that yeah. they've ever heard. And they will yawn in your face with it. But that's <laughs> what's cool. And that's what me, and that's only indicative of just how special your experience is, right? Um, so the fact that you can't translate it into an interesting story just shows you how special it is for you. So that's 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 something really to go for. As far as coincidence, at some point, particularly when you're doing your dream stuff. You just have to be like, there's too many coincidences. There's too many times. It can't be. Like it, that That whole, I, what is the name of the, I do like reading. Here's the thing. I'm a very skeptical person and I do like reading and I listen to podcasts for skeptics and it, it's it's like true skeptics. I forget the name. It's like the 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 desk drawer phenomenon of like being able to like cherry pick coincidences and there's just so many of them that you're able to to do that. That works both ways. Like so fundamentalist materialist science can do the same thing as well, but at some point the coincidences there's just too many of them and you have to be like yeah, there's something else. My job, what I'm trying to do with my podcast is for those that just say like, maybe I'd like to go a bit more. Maybe I'd like to learn a little bit more than just being like, yeah, there's something else, but I'm just going to continue on my day-to-day life. We're, we're, we're here, from what we know, we're here for a very short period of time. Most of us, 70 to 80 years. Have some fun with it. And I know like a lot of people think that that might be scary and stuff like that. And they, uh, Peter sent me a wonderful email and I just loved reading it. I've actually read it like five times because it was such a touching, wonderful email of like, questions that he wanted to ask me. And one of them was like being afraid of doing magic. Um, uh, dying is not the end. And I'm, I'm, I hope I, this doesn't come off to your listeners like I'm proselytizing in any way, shape or form. I've had experiences personally myself, that I don't really go into in the podcast because they are very personal experiences. I, I personally know, and perhaps it drifts through into my podcast, that once this 
light switch goes out that we call normal day-to-day life, that there's something else. And there's too many things across all cultures that point to there being something else. Losing your fear of death is very, it's, I, I'm more afraid of, of suffering, but when you lose the fear of death, then the gloves are off as far as like what you can do for magic. Be curious in how you live your life, right? Like, and try, try everything. Don't, don't close yourself off to stuff. There are some kinds of magic but to me, just like it, it seems like they don't, they're not for me, whether they're closed practices in some way. And closed practices, I do believe they are real. There's going to be an argument always, and particularly on online, all culture, like there's no such thing as closed practices. There's some things that just like to me, they don't feel like they're for me. I don't know why. But uh, for the most part, I kind of like want to try every kind of magic in some way. And so uh, that whole accepting that there's more, something more to life. Be adventurous with it. Try some stuff. So, and if you do, my podcast is there. Phase is there to have have your back as well. you like because you do talk about it um, particularly on episode three as well but you know like i'm going to turn them i'm going to turn this on you guys like <laughs> in, a couple, in a couple of sentences like why why did it just be like it's not enough to just say that this is how life is like, because I, I think it is important to tell yourself again like because <laughs> this shit isn't easy and and sticking your neck out and having a public you both have day jobs I'm sure somebody has found your stuff. Like this happened to me recently, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, like it's not cool. If you want to stop a conversation at a party, tell people you believe in magic and not these stage oh, illusions. Yeah. Sounds very. If you want people to be like, "What the fuck is wrong with that?" People, tell yeah. them that you're a ritual magician. <laughs> like this is not cool. Yeah, an- I don't good- care what anybody says. Being a magician is not cool, and it's not even like nerdy cool. It's, it's really lame. So I'm having a lot of fun, but it's really lame. Another good one is the, uh, the ultra terrestrial hypothesis. That's a good way of, uh, of ending a conversation. Like, did you know that fairies are basically the same as aliens? And it's just like, and it's tied oh. to death as well. It's like, it's like Buckley. No, sorry. You've gone too far now. Uh, I'm going to leave you and walk away. It's just like, uh, but Stephen, why, why, why wasn't why wasn't it enough for you? Why? Like, what what happened? Um, was it just? I think it was. So me and Hein have both. We've got a history of being interested in this stuff anyway, mm-hmm. on a on a sort of more passive level. In terms of just, we've always been interested in uh, reading books about it, watching films about it. Generally. We've always had since the in the in the sort of thirty years we've known each other. We've always had. The, the, we we started out hunting ghosts. That was literally the first thing we did together. Was going round his house where he lived with his parents. The house, incidentally, where he saw the dark man first. Uh, going round and like knocking on the walls, looking for hollow bits or feeling cold patches, 
trying to work out what the oldest thing in the house was. That's something that I remembered today. Uh, it's always been there. And I think it just got to a point where, I mean, perhaps it relates in some way to... I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think one of them is what I mentioned earlier about getting to a point in your life where you cease to give a fuck. Yeah. I think that is, <laughs> that is one important thing. And I think the other thing is, um, I think it grew out of a desire to do something together creatively which we, we you know was a big part of that yeah and when we were younger we were in bands and stuff but it'd been quite a while before we'd actually sort of properly really got our teeth into something and the way our friendship our friendship's always been about that and it we we've kind of also had this kind of uh folly adieu kind of thing where we both will get into situations where we go a bit crazy together and like do things together that are perhaps considered unwise or, or uh, <laughs> a, a bit weird by sort of consensus reality, uh, so to speak. And we've, we've always had that situation, haven't we, where we've been in a room full of people and there's only us two that understand what the fuck we're on about. And some people, yeah. I mean, I know like, say, uh, my brother and uh, a couple of our other friends have said that the reason they like Vase is because it reminds them of being in situations where they used to just listen to me and Hine talking together at a party or something and just being like, wow, these guys are completely insane, but it's really entertaining to listen to them. Um, th- that's my take on it, but I don't know whether Hine has a different one here. Yeah, I, I think you covered the, the thing. I mean, I, th- I think the sort of... Um the 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 friendship aspect is obviously foundational to it you know in that we're looking into this together and i think that to an extent that's really helped me feel safer you know in that we in that yeah i'm i'm not doing this alone I, I, and i do think that also the the idea that buckley was saying as well of just not giving a fuck anymore you know it's like well we're going to go back to what we liked as kids you know and we're going to yeah it's a midlife crisis is, is what it's ah! called <laughs> yeah. but you know, hey, that's why i started my podcast but it's not <laughs> it truly is I, i'm not i'm not there's no other two ways like, I, I quit drinking i was bored i have a midlife crisis I'm yeah. just going to do something. You should change right? the name of it to What Midlife Crisis Is This? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the other thing is that base isn't... It, it, it's become something different than what we envisioned envisioned it as to start with. I don't think we saw it. I didn't. I mean, when we originally started, it was going to be an album or, or something musical, maybe, or, or or some sort of maybe like a, a, a you know a continuing story or something yeah. like that. Um, and then when when we started considering it more, maybe then we thought it would be something a bit more like uh, Penny Royal or Hell Yeah, where we'd you know like look into local mysteries and stuff. I I didn't see it coming that I would become a magician you know or, or have a magical practice or anything like that. that that was just a, a direction it went in you know and um mm. <laughs> yeah that was your fault Doug. <laughs> and, and um and you know all this sort of stuff that's happened you know I, I i don't think that we envisioned that we'd perhaps talk to as many people as, as we have done you know because that's become an important part i think is me and buckley learning about this stuff like we were saying earlier and our curiosity playing out in an interview like it is today you know we're finding this stuff out and what we really love I think, I think what we've come to really love is the personal aspect of it. You know, like having you here is a real pleasure not to talk about the history of magic, which we know you have vast knowledge on, but to talk about your experience of this, your experience of magic, your experience of being a podcaster. And I think that another thing that's really, really important, and there's so many things that I, I, could, I could talk about base and podcasting all day, but one thing is that I think is important is something that you've raised recently in your podcast, I 
think it could be Patreon stuff, but when you were talking about spirit houses and how you see what magic is this, it's almost a magical working to itself. And I recognized that straight away with Vase because something that happened to us recently was that uh, an artist, a really talented artist, put the Vase sigil into a comic book, um, the 2000 AD. Um, and we saw it in that. And it was like seeing the sigil in the wild was intense, you know, especially because Grant Morrison, you know, it started there and, and that kind of thing. But also it reminded me of when we first designed that sigil. And I've, I've actually got the first drawing I did of it here on, on my notice board. That's so cool. And, uh, <laughs> the and, artist and, and, was and, called Boo Cook, by the way. So uh, yeah, shout, and, shout and out to Boo Cook. Void Runners is the series, which is excellent. And I've, I've got a, yeah, it's there in the shops at the moment. Um, and he is an incredible artist and he's really the set kind of style that I love. So I was kind of, because I was a comic book geek as a kid, I was just overcome with joy. But seeing it in the wild made me think about what I thought when I first designed that sigil. And I had like a little mantra, which is super cheesy, but because like we don't give a fuck anymore, I'm just going to say it, which was uh, have hope, have fun, um, love all and harm none. And that was what I think when I see the sigil is that. And and seeing it in the wild, I'm hoping that other people now that I, now that they know that will think a similar thing, you know, because it's it's hope. It's, this is curiosity. These are the elements of curiosity. You know, you're hopeful. You you, know, you want to have fun. You and it's not just love all as in love all people, but but it's an animistic principle. You know, love everything around you. You know, and 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 do as little harm as you can. And I think that is the magical working the vase is and if there's anything that it means to me it's that you know it's that and that's what the sigil embodies that's what i hope that we're trying to get across and and that's what i think vase is but this really leads on and you mentioned that email i sent you one of the big things that both me and buckley were keen to talk to you about is just the positivity that you put out you know all your 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 persona in the podcast and the 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 way that you deliver it all and just the the spirit of what magic is this is just very very positive and it's refreshing it's like a breath of fresh air because like you say cynicism is um it's, well, easy. it's a real thing it's very easy it's easy very, to yeah. do and it's like it, it's also after a while like it becomes kind of tiresome it, it stops meaning anything i think a lot of people that and this I think a lot of people that do magic and call themselves magicians, one, aren't doing magic, sorry, and two, are doing it to mask some very obvious personality defects. And it's cool to be spooky and shit. It's cool to be spooky and dark and shit. And truthfully, because I did it, because I did it. Like when I was, when I was, a th- what I called myself like a thelemite. So like I was not a follower because I wasn't part of any kind of order, but I like, I had, I carried around like one of the, the Toth cards in my wallet, Toth tarot cards. Like I was obsessed with Crowley. I thought I was like a dark magician. Yeah. You know, it's so fucking lame. Like in, in retrospect, <laughs> but it was part of a process I had to go through. It's, e- it's easy to be cynical and it's easy to, the other thing that I think, again, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm tooting my own horn here. It's so easy for people to want to talk about what's going on in the world right now and be shitty about it. That is the easiest thing in the world. I was very influenced by, um, you mentioned Carl Sagan uh, and and Cosmos and kind of at the same time that that TV show was coming out, there's this other gentleman by the name of James Burke. Uh, He did this show called Connections. Connections, the day the universe changed, it's wonderful stuff, but when I would when I would watch his shows, and the same thing goes with with Cosmos, they're timeless, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're timeless because 
not only are they like really positive what they're what they're talking about, it's just that they're not talking about current shit. And I'm not saying that everything that's going on now in like like civil rights battles and like every like identity politics and all that stuff isn't relevant. It is. But I just kind of like divorced myself from that because I, that, that didn't seem like the kind of thing that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to be very specific to the topics and stuff like that um, because I do find specific aspects of magic to be easy to talk about in a positive way because I think they're so fucking cool. Like it's yeah. so – I love magic and it's really easy to be positive if you love something. Um I think another person who who deserves some props is uh, Robert Anton Wilson. And a lot of people, when they get from what they get from Robert, Ant- I, I've read every single fucking thing that Robert Anton Wilson has done. Everything, every single one of his books, I've read them. I've read his shitty uh, movie script called "Reality Is What You Get Can Get Away With." I've read everything that he's put out. And everybody's like, when they look at Robert Anton Wilson, what they will say is like, "Yeah, reality tunnels and." Um, Alfred Korzybski, E-Prime, uh, talking to Sirius and um, doing acid and, and Aleister Crowley rituals. But truthfully, the true key to, to Robert Anton Wilson is his positivity. Yeah, is, is it's being the laughter, optimist. isn't it? It's yeah. a, it? I mean, Cosmic Humor. Trigger is hilarious. It's a really it's funny book. It's funny. Yeah. It's really funny. And that's one of those things where I'm not saying that I'm just a positive person because of Robert Anton Wilson. But a spoonful of just being nice and positive and kind and curious is way more attractive to other people and to yourself. And it's easier. It's easier to be positive when you're kind and curious. Other people hear it. It's an incredible thing. And I, I'm, I, I didn't used to be. I used to. You can talk to my girlfriend like we've known each other for 14 years. We've only started dating for two. She remembers when I was that like thelemite piece of shit. Everything is dark and let me talk to you about spooky nonsense. <laughs> like it's not good. Like it, it's lame. It's super lame. So uh, it's not that I just started my podcast and then suddenly I was positive. I, I've just noticed that, hey, if you look at the world as being a good place and that you can do good in it, good things happen to you. That's a really easy spell to do. And that maybe that's that's the third part of what, how to start doing magic. Be good. Stop complaining. Stop talking about other people's shit. Stop gossiping. Be kind. Be nice. Be curious. And guess what? Usually good things will start happening to you. I don't want to say the word karma. I don't, because I don't know. But I've just noticed that when I stop being a downer about everything... Good things started happening. The world started to open up to me. Imagine that. Um, so I, th- I thank you, gentlemen, for for really saying how positive I am. Because because um, sometimes I, I just released a podcast episode where I kind of compl- uh, uh, on Patreon where I just kind of complained about having a podcast. And I and after I released it, I kind of felt like bad. Like oh, I don't want I don't want I don't want the people who are literally paying me to be who I am and to live that put food on my table to think that I have a miserable job. I don't. So, but but to go back to this whole idea of creation and art, having a podcast is hard sometimes. And it is sometimes hard to be positive all the time. Um, I take my job very seriously. And it's not that being positive is, is tough work. But this constantly seeking and researching and, and, and making and creating, it does become taxing in a way. Um, 
And it's like every time I do a video, I have an existential crisis because I do videos on my Patreon. I have an existential crisis because it's like, wow, I'm putting all this work in. I'm spending so many hours doing this and maybe 150 people will watch it. Like, oh, like what am I doing with my life? Um, but those, those moments are few and far between. I have noticed that if I just shut up and stay positive, good things tend to happen. Other people seem to be attracted to it. And it, it, it's just a better way of being in the world. As cool as it is to be the trench coat wearing, everybody having black, ooh, I conjure demons from the Ars Goetia, as cool as that is, and I do do that stuff. I do that stuff on a yearly basis. As cool as that is, it is, it is not how I base my personality. Just being nice and, and, <laughs> and trying to be curious and helpful, it, it's just so much easier. Um, and it's so much better. There's, um, I, I totally agree. And it's that, that is something that I've been trying to kind of, uh, incorporate into my life a lot more. And I, I've mentioned it a couple of times on, on the podcast, but I, I've been working with this book called the tools by, uh, what's his name? Stutz, Eric Stutz. Uh, and he's a, he's a, it's not a magic book. Well, it doesn't seem like a magic book. It seems like a self-help kind of therapy book, but then by the end it's, it's like talking about like a, a force in the sky that that and stuff, and it's it's in it. But the I've, I've been looking for the quote, uh, uh, and I've just found it on my phone now. So I'll read it to you. It's from page one hundred and four by the Tools, and he says, "Connecting to others is also an essential ingredient in success. The most important opportunities in life come from other people. It would be nice if they granted those opportunities based on merit, a reward for talent or hard work, but that's not the way the world works." People give you opportunities because they feel connected to you. And that's that to me is like, you know, he's talking essentially about like how what you put into the world and being this kind of gloomy fucking edgelord is just going to make, it just doesn't work. It doesn't like, it, it's not, it, it, it doesn't work like that. And I, I know sort of I've learned this through kind of um, through, uh music stuff you know kind of and sort of uh, promoting myself and the music i do and stuff like that it's like i see it all the time sort of musicians who are constantly fucking moaning about how bad things are for them and how unfair things are and how this label's treated me badly and how this musician isn't as good as you know and it's like and even if they're shitting on like famous musicians even if they're like oh Ed Sheeran has got no talent or whatever and it's like but then you look at their you look at their sort of social media and it's like it's just all moaning and people just I, I don't want to see that and I've, I've lost respect for a good number of people just because they're so negative and I've gained more respect in recent years for people like yourself who are just putting positive stuff in, into the world because it does it makes me want to spend time with them people and that's what people want and that's what people and I think this is true in it's good we're kind of coming out a bit out of magic here I'm sorry about this um but I think this is true in oh, life no, it is magic. being positive yeah, but, is in this day and age keeping a positive attitude is a fucking like it's, <laughs> it's hard yeah. But it is, and it, I think it, it just makes people more likely, I think you're more likely to get kind of, and that shouldn't be the reason to do it, but, you know, no. ha having, and I know, I remember sort of like years and years ago, people saying to me when I was a miserable teenager, you know, like, 
oh, you need to think more positively and be more, you know, and it's like, but it's actually true. And if you can actually, and I know it's not that simple. I know it's not that simple for a lot of people, for a lot of people are going through some seriously difficult shit and you can't just switch on the positivity. But if you can find a way to change that outlook, to almost change that reality tunnel, if you like, and to try and inject some humor into it and so, and you're not just dark all the time and gloomy and miserable, what you put into the world somehow comes back to you. Uh, like you say, I don't like using, I don't, I'm not saying karma. I'm just saying it's almost, almost like an energy or something. There's something about positivity, which tends to work out well for people. And there's not enough of it, is there? You know, no. that, that's the thing. And and that's when, when I'm having those moments where the darkness feels like it's going to consume you. I, there's actually another comic book um, writer who I think about, which is Garth Ennis in Preacher. Just the line, you've got to be one of the good guys, son, because there's way too many of the bad. Yes. <laughs> that, just, that does it for me each time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And to go back to that, my little interjection there, it's not easy. Things are rough all over. And I, I have a I have a Discord server from from my patrons. And it's nice that people come in and, and share. And I'm not saying this to like target anybody on there. Uh, but it, it, when people share their life experiences, things are not good. And I thank my lucky stars that things have turned out the way that I can't tell you how lucky I am that my podcast is my job and that I get to wake up every day and I just come to this bookshelf and start pulling books off to start working on like an episode of something. Some days it is a grind. Some days it's rough. I nearly threw my camera because I'm doing a video for my, I nearly threw my camera off the balcony yesterday. Like it's not, I just, when you get into this stuff, it's expensive. And now I realize I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to drop an extra, I don't know, $1,500 on a new camera because this one is not cutting mustard anymore. It's, it's not easy, but man, I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. And it is the outlook to just be able to be like, I'm so thankful for everybody that likes my stuff. I'm so thankful that I can do this for a living for now. For now, I'll say for now. I'm so happy that other people find it enjoyable. Uh, I'm so happy I can eat whatever I want. Like, I'm so grateful that I can have an opportunity to go snowboarding when it snows. And when it's not, I can go skateboarding. And like, I'm just, it's nice that I can go down to the water. I live close to the ocean. It's Things are good. There's a lot of dark out there. And... There is some weird thing, I don't know what it is, that even if in your darkest moments you can find one spark of light in it somehow and be sincere in seeing that spark, that starts fires and that spark starts, it sparks joy in others. It's so tough to find and there's a lot of work to do it, but it, it is possible. It really is. That's wonderful advice. Thank you very much. I think that's a good point to end this episode. So we'll be continuing our interview with Doug in the next episode, which I think will be out next week. And now that we've covered the positive stuff, I think that we're going to get into the darker stuff. You know, we're going to talk about curses, hexes, love spells, necromancy, all that stuff. So you don't want to miss that. Thank you very much for listening. Please join us again next time for some more weird stuff.